A warm welcome to another episode of our Economics and Business podcast series. My name is Laura Gantz and I'm your host for the series. We're living currently in an era of geopolitical transformation and unprecedented global interconnectivity. The financial crisis, Brexit, political shifts, so many factors in the news currently seem to point towards a conclusion that our world is becoming more and more uncertain and risky. I think uncertain may have even been the word of 2017. So today I'm joined by economist Rob Vaughan, who um, joins me to talk about the insights financial markets have to offer about country risk. Rob, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Great to be here. Rob, what is country risk and why is it important? Yeah, Laura, we view country risk as really the additional premium that investors demand to um, invest in a country outside their home market. Um, I think it's important for two reasons, really. One is to manage their existing asset base effectively. Um, and the second reason re really is when they're looking to grow and expand their portfolio beyond their home market, how can they appropriately price and, and get a good price for the investments that they're considering? Um, so we help our clients with both of those areas. So you've been working in this area for a while now. What exactly is your work about? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we, we support clients in this area for our country risk service. So we've developed the service actually over 10 years ago. And throughout that period, we've consistently measured um, country risk um, using our country risk model. Um, and essentially what we've done there is to plot a relationship between sovereign bond yields and the risk and credit fundamentals of those countries. And really that allows us to have a predictive relationship. So for 187 economies around the world, um, we could help to estimate what the country risk premium is for those economies. What types of countries are you looking at for your model? Um, so we're looking at um, a range of developed market um, and emerging market countries. Um, and really, you know, investors are increasingly um, interested in developed market um, countries, not just emerging markets, because we're seeing actually a lot of differentiation, um, even within economies that, you know, three or four years ago actually looked quite similar. Um, and I think that plays to your point around actually there being lots of different risks which have emerged in the investment landscape over the last few years. Mm. Wow. So have you seen any particular trends that are common and sort of like global across all of these different countries you're looking at? Yeah, so I think that differentiation is definitely one. I think overall, actually, we've seen a decline in country risk levels, which actually might be quite surprising to some of your listeners. As you say, risks um, are being played out in the newspaper headlines every day, from North Korea to the US presidential election to Brexit and political crises um, around the world. Um, but what we've actually seen in five out of the six um, quarters, country risk has declined over the last 18 months. So um, that's been a really quite marked um, shift over the last um, over the last 18 months. That does sound counterintuitive, giving all those news headlines that you've mentioned just now. What's going on here? Yeah, so I think a really important factor is a kind of base effect here. So. Um, a big driver of country risk levels is the dynamics that are playing out in global capital markets. And um, the real benchmark for that is the US. Um, and in the US, you know, we're seeing um, inflation expectations increase and we're seeing growth increase. And that's actually driving increases in short term interest rates. Um, 
That is also feeding through into the debt markets. So long-term interest rates have increased. So spreads will naturally decline as a result of that. Um, but very interestingly, what we're seeing is that's not necessarily drawing investment back into the US. And actually what we're seeing is global investors are really sticking with emerging markets. So um, some of your listeners um, may remember the, the taper tantrum from a few years ago um, and the emergence of the Fragile Five. So when there was US tapering, um, lots of um, investors kind of panicking and withdrawing their money um, from emerging markets and pulling that back into um, the US, exposing some of the kind of um, cash flow problems in those economies. Um, but really investors um, so far are sticking with emerging markets um, and really that's a, a kind of reflection on risk appetite really holding up and investors wanting that additional yield um, that, that, that they can get from those foreign investments. Um, and I think the third factor that's really driving this is a normalisation in some of the biggest bond markets around the globe. So. Um, your listeners again will remember um, the peripheral Eurozone crisis from five or six years ago when Italian and Spanish bonds kind of spiked at 7%, um, a 7% yield. Um, what we've seen really gradually over that period is economic conditions improve and really investors return to those bond markets and um, supporting better prices for those bonds. So um, what we've seen is a decline in country risk in the Eurozone and that's fed through into the kind of broader global trends. Given that there's been so much that's been going on, are there any big rises and fallers in country risk? Yeah, so I think in the Eurozone, just keeping with that theme, we've seen um, Cyprus, we've seen um, Italy, Greece, um, Portugal um, be really big fallers in our model. So we've seen country risk um, levels reduce in those economies. Um, on the flip side, you've you could probably guess the economies where we're seeing some of the biggest increases. So unfortunately, some of the war-torn countries in Africa, like Somalia and Sudan, um, North Korea, for example, um, and they have the highest country risk levels in our model, and they've also increased um, over the past 18 months. So, so far, we've mainly been focusing on the sh short-term trends, but given that you've actually had this model for quite a long time now, are there any long-term trends that are worth mentioning? Yeah, so I think picking up on that theme of differentiation that you mentioned earlier, so I think um, really uh, what we're seeing is investors become much more nuanced in how they um, price country risk. So I think a really good example of this is Brazil and Argentina. Now, three years ago, um, Brazil was one of the safest South American economies. Argentina had a country risk level around four times that of Brazil. And what we've seen over that period is really a divergence in the risk fundamentals of those economies. So you've seen Argentina, you've had um, a new reformist um, president come in, um, enact a lot of economic reforms, um, negotiate with some of the sovereign debt, hold out investors, um, and really get the economy back on track. Um, what you've seen in Brazil is a political crisis and also a lot of economic problems, particularly the large amount of debt which consumers and the government held, and that's really been un unwound over the last few years. Um, so now our country risk model kind of plays that out. So um, what we're seeing is very similar risk levels in those economies now. Um, and that's a reflection on, I think, investors understanding those risk dynamics and pricing those risks um, proportionately. Um, 
also driven by a lot of reforms in, um, in the banking sector, for example, where um, every global bank now has to have a country risk department. So I think we've seen some um, big improvements in the space over the past 18 months, but it's really important um, investors keep on top of country risk because it's an area which is changing on a daily basis. It definitely sounds like you need to be having very, very up-to-date knowledge on this topic. Do you have any examples of how you've used your knowledge and insight into country risk with some of your clients? Yes, absolutely. So I think this has a really big impact on clients' balance sheets. So for example, we've seen that just a 2% change in country risk could swing an investment valuation by around $500 million. Um, so we've helped clients to effectively price their country risk exposures and um, traditionally that's been to look at some of their foreign um, investments and help clients work out what a valuation, a fair valuation would be for those investments. Um, sometimes that's to test the valuations on their balance sheets and other times that's really um, to work out whether they might need to write down their investment um, and whether risk conditions have changed to an extent where they might actually have to reduce the valuations on their balance sheets. Um, it can also be used to help um, uh, investors and organisations um, look at their global portfolio and help understand where the best risk-adjusted returns are and help to remunerate those areas of their business which are doing um, best um, when you account for the increases in risk, which, which might be evident across a global portfolio. Um, I think possibly the one interesting example I'd pull out was working for um, an investor who'd recently invested in the Maldives economy. Um, and this was a large infrastructure asset, which actually the government recently expropriated. Um, so really, we were using country risk as, a, as part of a suite of tools there to help understand what a, a fair level of compensation might be um, to that investor to reflect those return and risk dynamics over the period which they would have held that asset. Um, Laura, I can say, unfortunately, that it did not involve a client visit. Um, but we really look forward to you know, interesting applications of country risk and support our clients in different ways um, in the future. Well, it's a shame it didn't work out this time. Maybe better luck next time, Rob. Well, thank you so much, Rob. Um, you've shared some really interesting examples today about different countries and the different long-term and short-term trends in country risk. And may I just say, I guess it's, it's really good to have some insight um, that is up to date in these uncertain times on such a topical issue. So, yeah, thanks very much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Now to our listeners, if you'd like to find out more about our country risk modelling, please head to www.pwc.com forward slash CRP. And don't forget to subscribe in order to keep up with our latest episodes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>